Welcome to Transit Matters, episode 15. Transit Matters is an advocacy group committed to better transportation, uh, particularly uh, mass transit, public transportation, uh, MBTA in the city of Boston and around. Uh, and we are, this is uh, Transit Matters' podcast. It's our, uh, well, it's our frequent production. Um, we are uh, trying to elevate the discourse around transit issues in Boston. I am Jeremy Mendelson. I am an urban geographer and transit planner. I uh, spend a lot of time focusing on uh, service design and operations. Uh, and, and I'm Mark Abunia. I'm the curator of our blog and social media feeds. Uh, by day, uh, I'm an IT systems administrator, and by night, I'm the Leslie Nope of transit, geeking out over meeting celebrities in transportation and getting knee-deep in advocacy. And today, we're joined by our guest, Ari Offsevit. And I guess he'll, we'll let him introduce You said it right. Um, <laughs> he says by night, but I think that we met we met Owen Levy and um, what's his face from LA, and that was during the day. That was so. during, yep. <laughs> Occasionally <laughs> during lunch breaks. Yeah. Um, very exciting. Uh, I work in transportation planning. I run the Amateur Planner blog. It is amateurplanner.blogspot.com. I could put it on my personal website, and I have to migrate stuff, and I'm just not <laughs> do that. So um, you should check it out. We'll probably say it again. Or not, I, you know. Yeah, well, so today I guess we're going to start our discussion um, on a recent, well, I guess recent month, month-long, uh, month-old uh, Pioneer Institute um, article by Jim Stergios, is that right? Uh, and a subsequent article by The Globe that's, that talks about fare box recovery math. And I, and I know that we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording about how Part of our frustrations with the discourse is that uh, the numbers don't quite add up. Yeah, this well, this goes back. Um, it was cited in the uh, in the big report that came out after the winter, and they said, "I this I remember getting just really worked up because like look look at how well London does. Transport for London has a ninety percent fare box recovery rate. And then if you look at the asterisk, it was like well for the underground only. And if you look at the fare, how the fares work for that." It's, I mean, they're, they're, this is something where you're comparing apples to oranges, and this is something that the Pioneer Institute has. If you go to my blog, you'll find out more. That they've done in the past, and, and you know, I think they have, I don't necessarily agree with their points. I think they would be a lot stronger if they were, if their numbers added up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, yeah, there, there are certain, there are things that I, we can have a bone to pick with people over all sorts of things, but when it gets to the point where someone is adding one and one and getting six, it's, uh, Right. So. <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, I mean, we, we talked about this a lot, you know, I think it's back in episode 12 when we kind of picked up the report and we were, um, and you might remember that I think we, the, the three of us were kind of in different places in terms of what we thought about the report, um, the, uh, me, Mark, and Josh. And so, you know, a lot of this comes down to, you know, how are you, what are you evaluating and how are you evaluating it? And you sort of get into this, if, if you, it's like if you're trying to, if you're looking to see, uh, you know, what kind of ridership you're, you're carrying and, you know, what your, what your fares are, and a lot of these things are the way that they are because, uh, you know, transit does not exist in a vacuum. It's part of the larger political conversation. It exists on uh, streets that, that have other uses as well. And, um, and, and so it just sort of, all this stuff sort of mixes into the bigger picture. And um, it's just, you know, I, I just, I get really frustrated when, uh, people try to say, "Oh, so and so has a lower, fare, a better fare recovery ratio," and then and, you know we we should be doing exactly what they do, and it it doesn't really. And and this was this is a theme that ran through the report too. I mean, you saw, right. you know, you saw that they all that it was not just the fare box recovery, but it was the uh, I mean, it was the absenteeism thing, and it was all the other stuff that they had in there that was just if you actually looked at the numbers, it was total BS. Right. It, it's I think it's a, an issue over the quality of the analysis. Um, I know that frequently is the refrain here in Boston when it comes to transit that, oh, well, just because it works somewhere else doesn't mean it'll work here, which isn't necessarily what we're trying to say. Um, it's, it's much more about the fact that, that when you're looking at numbers from somewhere else, you know, how, how do you best make an approximate, uh, or rather, how do you choose that, those numbers from outside? To make a, a, a better apples to apples comparison rather than apples to oranges, and and again maybe that's an issue. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that is the issue with the, with the T is that there are no comparisons, uh, which I think other people have definitely said. But um, it's 
It is, it is definitely not as easy as taking the fare box recovery ratio of some other agency um, who, under, who operates different, type, different types of modes than, than the T and has different um, uh, operating burdens and you know, their capital programs are in different states of, of being funded and so on and so forth. Uh, I see that Ari is actually bringing up over here on his computer uh, some comparisons, bus maintenance com uh, comparisons, uh, bus maintenance cost comparisons that were a major issue uh, that was outlined in the report. Yeah, that was in the report. And again, this is something where if you look at the numbers, you can make a very strong argument that the TS of the highest cost in the country. Mm -hmm. um, but they, when when you go in with a certain agenda, you can cherry pick numbers to make the make those numbers really seem outlandish. So. They went in and they started compare. They compare the T to um, twenty uh, the peer cities, and you know when I think of peer cities to the to the T, I think of Washington D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago. Chicago's a lot bigger. Yeah. Uh, maybe New York City, just high living expenses, and then maybe some of the West Coast systems: San Francisco, L.A., um, Portland, Seattle, Denver. Large cities that with uh, with with really complex networks, a lot of congestion. It's a lot cheaper to run a bus on the 35 miles an hour that stops every mile than in city traffic. Um, and you know, I'm looking. I looked at this report, and it's they can the three cities that the T was compared to. Um, on, or, there are, there are a variety of a number of lists, uh, but the only three cities that the T was compared to that were on sort of the highest. Uh, highest ridership were D.C., Houston, and Oakland. And then they, for, for whatever reason, they, they somehow defined, they, they used some bizarre metric. And it was actually a metric that, if you, if you looked at the, the definitions, the metric that they, they chose, and they must have chosen it, was something that varied by, by system policy. There were some systems, it's, it's minor, it was something like minor, minor and major uh, 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 breakdowns, and I actually don't have the language right in front of me, but I should probably find it. Yeah, I mean, there's various metrics that they use, and the most common would be like what mean miles between failures. My, well, my, well, so yeah. yes, miles between failures. The problem is, is that there's minor and major failures, and what fails? A failure is something that causes the bus to come out of service. Um, minor, I think, is that it has to come out at the end of its, that, that it can't go up for service, and major is that it fails during service. If you look at the numbers, there are it's, there's just there's no correlation between them. Agents, it says specifically in the National Transportation Database. That they are; those are agency defined. It doesn't yeah, actually say yeah. that for anything else. So what you get to get happening is that um, you know something where the T might take a bus and just send it back out, um, the faulty airbag so the bus can't kneel, or something like that, where another agency might fix it. You're going to have just sort of vastly different numbers. The uh, Maryland did not report any minor, but everything was major. So when you look, get those numbers, and these numbers would vary by from you know some agencies two thousand miles, some agencies a million miles. Mm -hmm. um, you could either you know if you looked at the passengers carried per trip, um, per my some some more concrete number, you would get a much better you know compared to the T to other high ridership uh, um, high ridership systems. Right. The T actually still comes out with one of the highest uh, maintenance costs. Um, there's not you can't really sugarcoat you can't you can't find some metric that that the T does really well on, but when you're when you when you take that number you're they wind up I think their cutoff is twenty five thousand passengers a day the T has has four hundred thousand bus passengers and one point three million overall passengers so you're looking at a system a city where transit ridership is one fiftieth as much as the T so you're, they're they're comparing it to El Paso and right. Memphis and San Bernardino. And uh, and Palm Beach County and, and Delaware and suburban Detroit and these just start take those numbers just I mean once you if that's your main comparison you're losing a lot of credibility. Well, what you're saying, what you're really saying is all the passengers are going onto the buses and hitting them with wrenches, as compared to <laughs> as yeah, yeah all the yeah. although they only have like three or four passengers on those buses, yeah. There's yeah. only so many wrenches. Well, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> so another uh, on the empty buses, uh, the empty buses critique that, that people love to bring up, and I don't know if this was yeah. in the report. But it's this is a common one too. You know, you talk about, um, all right, you kind of touched on like there's there's um, you can look at vehicle miles and you can also look at you know what the bus is actually doing. You know, it, yeah. so you know are you um, okay? So like Route One, what is it like four or five miles long, right? But it's like is these are very forty five minutes and there's right. you know forty five minutes to cover those miles because it's slow and in traffic. We could maybe put some bus priority in there. That's another <laughs> later conversation. Um, but it's also a bus. I mean, that bus gets to Central Square. It's going to have 50 or 60 people on it, and it's going to be full. It's crush load. It's crush load. Crush, a crush load bus is... Um, so if you... 
be is you think about a crush load bus is about 30% of its overall weight as passengers. So if the bus weighs 20,000 pounds, uh, there's 10,000 pounds of passengers. Now, if you took your car, your car weighs 3,000 pounds, you'd need 1,500 pounds of people and stuff to equal that. So think about, like, take, take a Toyota Corolla, put five people in it, each of which weighs 200 pounds, and that's going to be a tight back seat. Throw 500 pounds of gear in the trunk, and yeah, that, 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 that kind of car, you drive that car around, it's going to need struts a lot more often than if you're a single occupant. <laughs> or you could just have like five very, very large Americans. Very large Americans. I don't think they fit across the deck. Also, speaking of, uh, speaking of buses and transit priority, um, what do you guys think about the uh, Bar Foundation's uh, BRT report? Let's talk a little bit more about that. And... Um, and then we can kind of ease into in, into the next phase of the because I as I understand it the the BRT study is just the the first in a in a volley of I guess public education about transit. Either you want to start sort of loaded question. <laughs> sure, I mean uh, I was just going to do the chant the BRT BRT BRT. Yeah, so I'm kind you of in the middle. I'm yeah. kind of in the middle so, of these two. So <laughs> so yeah, I mean the thing. So here's here's the thing. So the Bar Bar Foundation did a commissioned a study and it was done by the uh, Institute for Transport Development policy, um, which is an organization that um, we, you know, we can get more into, um, but they basically advocate for uh, bus rapid transit in, in various places, and they, they study this. Um, and so the, the point of the study was to put forward a, a vision, an analysis, and a vision of what they call gold standard BRT. Um, and this is, and we're, you know, we're going to have somebody on the show at some point to, to talk you know, more about that, perhaps. Um, but so basically, the idea is like the gold standard, right? So, I, so this is um, this is sort of like you it's know, your red line, right? You know, there's no there's no like there's no uh, street crossings. There's you know, everybody no, everybody pays the fare in advance. Like there's no. It's very strictly defined. Like there are points you lose for if you're you have this many buses per hour, and if you have this street geometry, it's very yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so you know they they went through and they said you know these are the these are the corridors and, and you know they're pretty much a lot of the corridors that we all know you know the the one and the twenty eight and you know the, the, I think the urban ring might have made an appearance in there um, <laughs> so much to the disagreement of, of some um, and so basically the conversation we we wanted to, to think about is um, you know why why BRT and what is what is the vision going forward and I think a lot of the times we sort of either kind of default to BRT. Um, you know, I was glad to see you, Ari, writing a lot about this because one of the things that I've struggled with over time is that we sort of, you know, BRT can be great, right? I mean, if you're thinking of basically what you, what you mean it by gold standard, BRT is high quality, uh, high capacity transit, uh, you know, that's fast, efficient, it's convenient, and it meets all these things that, that people want out of it. Um, and so, but, but a lot of times we default to the mode first, right? And we, um, and Jared Walker from Human Transit wrote about a lot about this a while, a while back, and um, you know when I was first starting to learn about these issues. And the, so we, we decide that oh rail is too expensive. We can't build rail. We're not going to build any more subways. Uh, so we'll just use buses. And I think. It could be done well. Like Ottawa has this great BRT. Ottawa, yeah, and they're replacing with light rail. And they're replacing with light rail, right? So it's sort of like it's like if you do it right and you do all these things, then it's going to be so popular, yeah. and then you need the capacity of rail. And if you don't do it right, you get like the silver line Washington Street, and politicians love that because they can say they're doing something great and it's cheap. Yeah, um, that, that that's a great point. Uh, the actually the gold, I think the gold standard is Bogota. I haven't been to Bogota, but um, 2.2 million riders a day. They have these four-lane-wide busways down every major street. They don't have necessarily signal priority, but they have a lot of grade separation. Um, and the buses come every few seconds. The route structures are really complicated because there's a lot of like local express, and it's not like in New York where either the local stops at every station and the express stops at every uh, third or fourth station. It's this stop bus stops at these two stations and then skips ten and then stops at three more. Um, right. But it's 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 great. It works really well. It transports a lot of people. But and, and so then we sort of hear from the ITDP, which is they they you know they say we advocate for public transit, but it's really only for bus rapid transit. Uh, I, they've never really met a bus rapid transit study they, project they don't like, um, from what I can tell. Um, <laughs> Bogota has these 130 foot wide boulevards. Which are like, and it's just how the city developed and how it was planned. They they have these 130 foot wide boulevards that'll have like four lanes of traffic plus this median busway. Um, a lot of them will have grade separation. So it'd be, we don't actually the only 
high, it would be like if we took Com Ave and took down all the trees in the middle and built a busway, the four, four lanes of pavement in the middle of it, um, going from, from Cleveland Circle to downtown. Or they use also the green, use the green line in that. Or you well, use the green line. The green line is narrower. You you really to get this very high capacity, you generally need uh, you generally need four lanes of uh, capacity capacity to have those wide stations. Um, we and Boston has narrow streets, so the the you know I'm, I'm looking at the met, the matrix of uh, of what you need and. There, Blue Hill Avenue could have, you don't actually need the four lanes of this gold standard. Uh, you just can't get quite the capacity, but if you don't need subway capacity. I mean, you could probably eke it out on Blue Hill Avenue. But then you have to have the buses go somewhere. Um, if they terminate in Dudley Square, then they have to go down the, the, the um, then they have to go down Washington Street. Washington Street gets narrower, so now you're talking about maybe you don't have that separated median. Mm -hmm. um, then they have to terminate downtown. And the narrowest street that any buses run on is like a bus-only street, but it has a, a right-of-way in Bogota. Right-of-way, and it's just one little spur that's 60 feet wide. Um, so there's two lanes of buses with turnouts. They're, they're talking about putting these buses on Arch Street and Devonshire Street downtown. Um, they're talking about bus-only streets where really there would be no way to have deliveries barely any room for passengers to wait. I mean, these are 30-foot wide streets. You need 22 feet for the bus lanes plus stations. Um, even by their own standards, I really see that I, you have to get 85 points out of 100 to get the gold standard. And I have a lot of trouble seeing how any any of these carters get to get. I only see Blue Hill being able to get anywhere near gold standard, and the rest are, are silver or bronze. But I think going back to what you the point you made a couple of minutes ago, um, bus rapid transit, so the problem for us is that bus rapid transit is, doesn't really fit in with our cityscape that well. And, the, and the, the point you made is that either you build it and it does really well and it, it has capacity constraints, or uh, you build it and it doesn't do, and, and it doesn't provide enough service you get. So really, I, we have the Silver Line are two great examples. The Silver Line 4 and 5 in Boston. Um, they built the BRT where it was easy to build, where the street's wider, and then it goes downtown. They don't have enough enforcement for the lanes and has some tight corners. Um, this, there's not really enough room on, on uh, uh, Temple Street to have a station there, so there's just sort of a shelter. There's no all-door boarding, which these are things they could fix, but there's, there's a lot more that they would have to do, and it's a lot more expensive and more politically expensive, too. Um, so it does, I mean, it's a very well-utilized line. But it doesn't provide nearly the service, the level of or speed or amount of service that like a subway line would on that car or a light rail line that say fed into the Tremont portal and into the central subway. Um, the Silver Line one uh, and two, the one the, the, that goes from South Station, at least the portion underground, I mean that's very expensive. That's, that's about a billion dollars a mile in current current dollars to build that, or that's what it costs to build. Um, and it operates at two or three minute headways at rush hour with those buses completely full because it's acting as a last mile. And so you have a two commuter trains and a red line train come in and 300 people pour down and one bus can't hold that many people. So it's over capacity and you get to, and it works, it doesn't work that well, but it works well enough for that sort of, for those trips that it's over capacity and a rail line, um, you know, if you had a three car light rail train sitting there, there'd be no problem accommodating all the people that it needs to. So the orange line in Los Angeles is, is similar. It, um, right, it's, you know, it's, it's built in an old railroad right away, so it has few grade crossings, a signal priority, it works really well. They're running, running right now four minute headways. Um, to get much more than that, you, it's 18 miles long, you get bus bunching issues, you have um, you know, crowding issues, bus bunching issues, you could get down maybe the two minute headways. Um, at which point, if one bus has to stop for a few extra seconds at a stop, or if uh, if it hits a light, um, you can't really get much less than that without really messing up signal priority if there's pedestrians crossing because the pedestrian phase has to be a certain amount of seconds and just the it, the, the math just sort of stop breaks down really quickly. Um, so they are, but they invested about half a billion dollars in that, uh, cheaper than building light rail. To increase capacity, they probably have to invest another few hundred million. At which point, 
it would make more sense if you were starting from ground from zero to build the light rail, which they talked about. There's a lot of weird politics out there, um, but there's a huge sunk cost. So then it becomes, well, do you how do you improve this versus, you know, it, there's there's a lot of issues. I wrote way too many words about this on the internet. Um, <laughs> I think you should write more words. I, I'm done, but already about bus <laughs> transit for the time being. Um, one other thing that they have to say, and this is, I think, I don't know if this is disingenuous or, or if this is an oversight, but it, it appears all over their website. Um, they say that bus rapid transit is uh, up to, they say on average it's up to, or it can be seven times less expensive than, uh, than light rail. Um, if you listen to that, it's like, oh, wow, it's a lot cheaper. But, and this is in the report, they say, oh, we can build 25 miles of bus rapid transit in Boston, gold standard, all the, you know, with all the bells and whistles for the cost of three and a half miles of light rail. But if you listen to that, they say up to, on average. That's not how averages work. That would be like saying, you know, we have a Boston-centric listenership here. That would be like saying, on average, Massachusetts gets up to 110 inches of snow per year. Well, on average, Massachusetts gets about 45 inches. And we get up to 110, and those are really different numbers. Um, 45 inches is like a foot a month, and 110 is like 10 feet a month. Well, it's not quite, but that's what we got this year. Um, and so, and that's about the order of magnitude. I, I went and I looked at bus rapid transit projects in the United States and light rail transit projects, and threw out outliers like the Silver Line, which is a tunnel, and like the North uh, University Link in Seattle, which is a light rail, but it's like a deep bore tunnel. And it came out that light rail costs a little more than two times as much as BRT. And that changes the equation a lot more because there are certainly advantages to light rail, as Ottawa is, is pointing out, by converting their very heavily used and sort of bogged down bus rapid transit system to light rail. Um, I mean, let me ask you this. Is that the cost, it seems to me that the cost is based heavily on how you build it. Right, I mean, if yeah. you, obviously, your silver line Washington Street is going to cost a lot less than gold standard BRT. Yep. And that's just the same thing for light rail. If you, you know, do full grade separation, it's going to cost a lot less than like if you were to build the B line today. I think that's true, but light rail, you're generally building it in a, a light rail. It's it's harder to just throw a street. I mean, we're not talking about streetcars. I think this whole modern streetcar thing, um, where you you know. That's sort of putting tracks on the ground and saying, you know, it's great. You don't really get the capacity. So that's sort of the low-level bus rapid transit. When you're talking about light rail, light rail offers you the opportunity in most of the corridor um, to have a high-capacity system, a high-speed, high-capacity system. But where there might be some issues, some great issues, some narrow issues, you can cross streets at grade, for instance. You can, uh, you can cross streets at grade. You can. My phone started ringing. So... I'm now confused. Uh, you can cross streets at grade. You can uh, you can mix in traffic for a, you know you don't want to do that for a long period of time. But you know, look at the E line. It, it mixes in traffic, and then if it, if the E line was in a, a separate reservation out to the Riverway, um, which Peter Firth has put forth as a as a good idea, it would work a lot better. But that last mile that currently, or the last the last mile in quotes, it currently goes to, um, what's it called? To Peace Street. To yeah, Street. Yeah. And then that there is a proposal to take out to Hyde Square. There's not as much traffic. There's enough street width. It can be in mixed traffic there. So that's sort of like BRT the same way. You want to build it where it's more expensive. But light rail has just higher capacity, if in especially in narrow corridors. And if you have 150 feet of width, you can get Bogota. They have their highest line they estimate about 45,000 passengers per direction per hour, which is a bus, a big long bus every 10 seconds. It's ridiculous. Right, I mean, how do you even run something like that? Do they like, I heard they like platoon buses together because I mean, how do you even, they there's 10 seconds apart, how do you get the things Well, there, there's two pieces, They're, they platoon buses together, which they have buses, I mean, there's two lanes, so there's buses that are stopped, there's buses passing each other. Right. You think about it, 10 seconds isn't that frequent, you know, as far as traffic goes, but it is when there are buses. But they also have gotten to the point where they know that they like that is absolute peak capacity. They're way over capacity. So that's like the Green Line light rail tunnel, except probably worse, where there's buses getting delayed and getting slowed down. Twenty thousand is really probably twenty twenty five thousand, which is about typically what you get off of a single line subway system, which is narrower or metro system. Um, is about what you could get. They are looking at trying to build new corridors, but they've sort of run out of really wide roads to put these in. So then the, the problem comes back to, I mean, light rail versus BRT is about 
um, intensity of intensity of use and, and the value that you really get out of moving people in a limited limited width corridor, uh, and and then just kind of rewinding back to the BRT study itself and the uh, the fact that this is kind of a um, the first in a, in a in a larger effort to to tackle the politics behind uh, transit investment um, and the larger conversation that we are all about to have in a couple of months about. Um, transit priority, and I know that uh, Livable Streets is working on this, we're working on this, and um, Bar Foundation ultimately wants to make the, the BRT study, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a just to wet, wet people's palates and get, get them, get their uh, interests peaked, and it definitely did, it hit, it hit uh, internet, uh, so, not international, but national news, oh, yeah. um, people got really interested, can, can Boston go for gold? Um, and and the real opportunity here, and we'll see this in a few in a few months when um, uh, when we have an exhibition about um, BRT study uh, components with in co- in cooperation with some students from uh, the MIT Cities uh, Lab is the fact that um, this is a teachable moment for Boston to teach Boston residents the uh, the trade offs of certain on street. Uh, lane takings and, and you know what do you put what is what do you get out of say uh, an on-street bus corridor as opposed to mixing it with traffic versus you know doing uh, signal priority versus nothing I think we all know what no signal priority feels like um, but that that's also been the biggest hurdle to overcome these conversations at the project level when you're actually talking about a specific project, whereas the BRT study is more about corridors, doesn't really outline specific projects. It talks about, um, as, as, as I understand it, the, it talks about things in a much more general... Um, it gets somewhat specific with yeah. some projects, and it gets somewhat sort of out in the left field with some of them, but... <laughs> another. Yeah, but the goal, is, the goal is to get people interested, in, and yeah. we'll, we'll see... We'll see where that goes later on with the uh, the exhibit that will open up at uh, Dudley. A couple, a couple comments on what you just said. I think that that's, I think having that, I mean, I'm all for transit priority. What, yeah. The problem there is they say light rail, they, they, we don't need to fight mode wars. There mm-hmm. are there there are light rail boosters too, too to say things about BRT that just yeah. aren't true. Um, and I'm all for BRT when it's in, in the right, I think Cleveland had the, their, their project is the, the, the health line, the highest rated doing air quotes on a podcast. <laughs> uh, the highest rated um, light rail line in the country is the health line. It is, you know, goes on Euclid Avenue, it's wide, it has so signal priority, has good stations, it's really, it's a great project. Um, that is, there, it probably wouldn't have made sense to put light rail on there um, right. for, the, for the capacity and the COD would have cost more. Um, I think that, but I think that the, the thing is that we, you, you, we, it's if you suck all the oxygen out of the room, and especially if you say light rail has no place, like the B line, which is ever yeah, is constantly denigrated as a, the B line could benefit from the same thing kind of things that the Bar Foundation, or the IQDP report says about light, uh, bus driver transit, signal priority, all door boarding. If you implemented that with it, full signal priority and all door boarding, B line would be twice as fast. Right. Um, so. We and I so if it's about transit priority, that's great. But when I sort of see this as a shot fired in the mode wars, and I sort of see a lot of what the ITDP does as sort of a shot fired in the more, more mode wars, mm-hmm. they really you're going to talk about public transit, you can't just talk about one mode, right? And I think at Transit Matters, obviously, you guys are aware of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we see this with the streetcar thing, and um, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I think this streetcar thing really hasn't taken hold much in Boston, although there's this idea of extending the E line in Hyde Square, which you know. We can talk about that if we feel like it um, but you know I think the streetcar thing really hasn't taken hold here because it's like people know what the, the e-line is they, 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 yeah. they know what a streetcar is and they're like oh we don't want that and if we but but if we had streetcars that worked better yeah um, if the right. e-line ran on was street running for a mile and then was in a reservation had all the reporting and got downtown quickly yeah. we wouldn't really need the 39 bus to, to parallel it but that's kind of my point of like that I you know saying over and over again is that you know, it, it really depends on how you do it. Like, we're used to shitty yep. bus service and good, you know, good metro service, right? And, you know. And the Green Line sort of falls somewhere between. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and so this is, so, oh, sorry if I interrupt. This is exactly what I think we need. Like, right now we're coming up with this overarching thing of let's imagine this city that we're never going to have or that we're not going to have in anyone's <laughs> lifetime. 
And what I think we really need to do for bus rapid transit and transit transit priority is look at three or four corridors. And Livable Streets was talking about this, and I think there's actually some really good voices in the room, uh, uh, names around the table, whatever, um, talking about where where do we do this first and how do we do it? Where do we? So I, one of my ideas is you take the <coughs> North Washington Street Bridge, Charlestown Bridge that they're going to rebuild in the next five years. It's wide, it's going to be multimodal, it already has, a, the tra this is actually great for biking and walking advocates, it already has a cycle track and a great walkway, which is now narrow as part of the Freedom Trail. But it has sort of these planters, it has room for six lanes, but they're only really using four, and they show multimodal, there's a picture of a bus and mixed traffic. But what it doesn't show is that that bridge is jammed with traffic several hours a day and then it carries the 111 which is one of the top five or six bus routes in the in the in the city and really the only link that Chelsea has to Boston well as the 9293 Charlestown a couple buses from Salem carries 20,000 bus passengers a day it only carries about 30,000 vehicles so look at somewhere like that look at somewhere like I should have a blog post up could you put bus lanes on the Harvard Bridge Look at somewhere where it would work, where you wouldn't, where the politics and costs are relatively low. So you're not taking a ton of parking spaces, and you're not putting a barricade in someone's front of someone's business, and do some small pilot projects. Um, Cambridge is going to be talking about Mass Ave North of Porter Square, wide street, lots of bus ridership. How do you rebuild that? And also, don't pit the, you know, a lot of the the. There are some, a few examples in the ITDB report where they have these sketches that show a street with bike lanes and then a street with no bike lanes. Like, okay, well, or a street with enough room for bikes, but and then it becomes four lanes, two for buses, and two for cars, and like nothing else. And you know, I think what we need to do is not focus on these really unattainable things or things that may take twenty or thirty years to attain, but look at where can we build. Bus, where, where can we improve signal priority? D Street uh, on the Silver Line. The, on the Green Line, which is, should have happened 10 years ago. Um, on some of these bus areas. Where do we do some smaller projects to say, hey look, this works. This works really well for bus trip passengers. We've caught, caught, in theory, you should be able to save operation costs. Um, hasn't affected traffic that much because in a lot of these cases, it, it wouldn't affect traffic that much. It's increased ridership. So if you can do it in the right places, and show that it works, that gives you the next step to say, okay, here's something we're gonna tackle, whether it's the, the Blue Hill app, the 28X, the, the Dudley, whether it's building the Silver Line into like a real bus rapid transit. Right now, if if you say bus rapid transit, people think, oh, the Silver Line, eh, it's never gonna work. Um, and that's what happened with 28X, is they said, oh, well, we don't want more Silver Line, it doesn't work north of us, this is a Band-Aid. Um, unless you, you know, one report is not gonna convince people, one report that cites Mexico City and Bogota and you know a couple other places in South America is not going to convince anyone, I don't think. So I think we need to focus on small projects that will if, if, if cost either cost not very much or pay for themselves, mm -hmm. and and really push those. And then if, if and probably when those work, then we can sort of branch out from there. But we need to take an incremental approach. Yeah. I have a question on that. You know, to follow up to that, and you can really tell that you know you're an operations guy by just <laughs> you know the way you're you're framing this is a lot of times in transit we look at like these big projects. You know, we're thinking like, oh, we have to we have to look at the whole route. You know, we have to so we do BRT, right? We have to do a whole route, and yep. brand the buses, and do all this like silly stuff. And um, but you know, you're you're throwing out a couple things which are like little pieces and sort of like looking at the real problem spots, like the real bottlenecks and like dealing with that and like, you know, forget the whole big thing, but just like make the little changes where you can have the most bang for your buck. You could do this, in. you could actually do something that would be really cool maybe with data and you could look at, and it would take actually good GPS data, which I don't know if anyone has. You could look at sort of for each intersection, how much delay and each stop, how much delay each bus takes. So when stops, it's going to be loading delay and intersections, it's going to be traffic delays and signal delays. And you could then match those against how hard it, was, it would be to make a change. So um, there are some places where you just have really narrow, constricted streets, and you need to have traffic be able to get through, and you're not going to shut the road, you're not going to shut NASDAQ down to all traffic, just so the buses can run through. Um, or where you, know, you have bike lanes and parking, and you, you need some parking. We can't get rid of all parking. We're not all going to be in driverless cars tomorrow, no matter what anyone says. Um, and if we do, there's still going to be a lot of cars around. Um, 
that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but sort of look at a ma matrix of take take a route, find the five places where you best match the improvement to the service and the cost minimization, and then maybe make those five changes. And and that the problem is with buses, especially with buses, is that the cities own the streets, so you then have to get. Now, a lot of, and it's a lot easier when you're in a big city. If you're in Houston or LA, well, LA has a lot of other little cities, but if you're, if you're in a big city where there's one city government, yeah, what? Monolithic city government. <laughs> and you look at the yeah. 66 bus, it starts in Cambridge, it goes into Brookline, it goes into Boston, it, it, it goes through a bunch of different neighborhoods. There's so many different layers to bureaucracy in, in Boston. I, I mean, it's just, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of moving pieces. The 86 bus, let's see, starts in Boston, goes into Brooklyn, goes into, maybe, it, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, and then it goes back and into Boston. Back into Boston, and then it goes into Cambridge, and then it goes into Somerville, and then it goes back into Boston. So there's so many moving pieces with so much of this that you have to find things that are, I guess, politically palatable is sort of the cost piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Find some politically palatable things that are going to improve service, do them, and then when they improve service, instead of people looking at the silver line, they'll look at that, and they'll say, hey, I want my bus, I want the bus in my neighborhood, to be able to go faster. But I mean, how do we deal with that political issue? Because a lot of times, you know, what's politically palatable is, is based on this idea that, you know, the politicians pandering to car drivers, even wh whether or not they may represent the majority of their constituents, that's just sort of what they know, and that's what they think, and so like, you know, what's politically palatable may not be all that helpful in many cases, and um, and sort of alongside that, you know, how do we how do we like measure these things, these little things, to the point that we can really show some impact, some benefit, so then we can say, you know, more of this. Um, well, that's a good question. It's a little big question. A, yeah, it's a big. I mean, I think part of it is electing better people. I know yeah. the Cambridge, Cambridge City Council race. I think there are some interesting candidates. I have no idea if they have a shot at running, but it's a small number of votes. We'll see what happens. Cambridge City Council has very little power, but they can muck things up. One thing I'm really interested in is uh, that we're actually we're, we're in Cambridge right now. I'm almost looking at this is the O'Brien Highway for the Green Line Extension project. They're going to at some point shut down the Lechmere Viaduct again. I feel like Forrest Gump they've done it three times in the last ten years. Yeah. For some number of months, twelve to fifteen 12 months. 15 months. To, yeah, which is like which is a long time. Mind-boggling. I and, mean, I don't know when they used to when they did these things. You know, back in the in the '30s and '40s. I mean, they would just you know do it all in one weekend. Yeah, well, we yeah. do that. We do that with the I-93 heavy lift bridges. I think what they want to do is the non-concrete part. They want to replace that because that's yes, they old steel. Yeah, they're they're going to have to knock that down. Twelve to fifteen months is a long time, but even it, it would be a number of uh, uh, if they did it really well, really quickly, would be a couple of months. There's residents around there. You probably can't work around the clock. But that gives you an opportunity to build a tempor temporary bus lanes. Most of on the Craigie Bridge. On the Craigie Bridge, most yeah. of that bridge is three lanes wide. Part of it is the outbound part is two right at the draw, so that wouldn't you probably would need two lanes of traffic. Most of that you could put make the center lanes bus only lanes. You don't need to stop the buses. There are no stops along there. Maybe you have one at Science Park. Maybe you just close Science Park, or maybe you put them in the right lane, but then you have turning traffic. It could be figured out. It could be figured out. You could, you know, you could do this with like flexible barriers and some enforcement. You could just paint diamonds on the road, um, and you could uh, um, diamonds on the road. So and and just some some signal priority. But there's only a, a few signals that you need to fix. Yeah, and a police um, officer so that cars don't. There's already a lot of cops around there. Right. Anyway, you'd have to get, you know, you'd, the, there's many jurisdictions because you'd be running TV buses on a DCR and DOT roads and probably city of Boston and Cambridge roads and you'd have Mass State Police involved. So, but all of that is, is, is doable. Um, and the other option would be to make the right lanes bus bike only so that um, when traffic is really, and then just have painted lanes. When traffic's really bad there, it's really bad. So the buses, I mean, it can it can take 15 minutes to go a mile, less than a mile. Mm -hmm. um, so then the buses go right by. When traffic's better, if the and so if a bus is following a bike at 12 miles an hour, it's still going to be a lot faster than sitting in traffic. And when in the midday, when a bus is passing a bike, there's plenty of room for it to go out and pass in general traffic lanes. So that's another option that that could be used. But do something temporarily. Um, I think that would also you could probably get some local Cambridge legislators legislators on board because. Um, Tim Toomey is sort of the, the uh, city council person and state rep from East Cambridge. Um, yes, you can hold both jobs. You can also be mayor of Lawrence and the representative. Um, 
And good to know. If you're planning on running for multiple offices, yeah, keep it in mind. Uh, I, uh, I, clearly, everything I've said on the show gives me a good political career. <laughs> Absolutely, but he, I, I think that there's a lot of people who say, you know, when it adds a lot of time for the local neighborhood, for the local residents, mm -hmm. and it would just be a really good. It would be something where you could say to all the drivers, "It's going away in 18 months." Yeah, you know, and maybe it would. It probably would, but. It would be a really great demonstration project to say, here's what we can do if you give us bus lanes. We can, and you know, you can show how how much it improves. You can look at old times. You can well, people will be a lot happier with it. We were able to get uh, the Longfellow over here. Um, one uh, traffic in one direction, bike lanes on both sides, and be able to shut down uh, and be able to convince people to let uh, them shut down the. Um, the bridge on weekends for whenever they need to do road work for for yep. dedicated shuttle buses. So I think I think Craigie Bridge is within within reach, but uh, yeah, it'll definitely take a lot more. Uh, the only problem with the Longfellow Bridge is that in a couple of years it's going to be they're going to reopen it to more cars. Right. And it's like it's, but just it's fine. Just but, leave it alone. But it's reduced. Yeah. It's reduced <laughs> lanes. It's not. It's yeah. less. It's fewer lanes than before, and it's got yeah. cycle tracks on it. So. Uh, one cycle track. Oh, it'll, yeah, it'll sorry. Be, it'll be better than before. It'll be at least new pavement. Yep. Um, yep. But I just think for transit, there's not a lot of, you know, you're not, there's not a ton of bicyclists along that road. Mm -hmm. It's just this great, and it, I think the big thing is you could probably get some political yep. support for it, and it's temporary. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it is a, it's a temporary thing. And when you're saying, oh, we're taking away travel lanes, well, you're replacing the green line. Right. Um, so it's... I, I just have a. I feel that it would be a really a relatively easy sell. It is a. I, yeah, I, I and agree. you can get some political support behind mm -hmm. it, and uh, if it doesn't work, which I think it would, it would exacerbate traffic in, for some amount of time. Although I haven't heard that much. When the KCR Roy shut the the overpass shut down, it was for for a couple of weeks. Everything on Universal Hub was that traffic was terrible and no one could any, ever get anywhere and sort of quieted down as people yeah, sort of initially it was yeah, initially so initially yeah. it would be a junk show as the long fellow was and then after yeah. a few months no one really noticed it yeah I, the bus passengers who weren't seeing traffic yeah i think uh, i think if we convinced uh, uh columbia pictures to film ghostbusters on the craigie bridge like they're filming downtown maybe we could get that because we did recently tweet the fact that they are uh for from seven o'clock until four o'clock in the morning they're filming shutting down streets downtown and filming for the entire week but uh you know everybody seems to be reasonably okay with not having parking during the you know during yeah the i love how we can't get a we can't get a, like a proper bike facility or a bus lane or something because ooh, there's two people need to park you know in front of us but we can't do let alone we can we, we can't test these things but right. we can do this for a week you know what's great yeah. about the craigie bridge and o'brien highway there's not a single on-street parking space on it <laughs> right <laughs> no we one have a project mm -hmm. this is an official call to action for uh, transit matters yeah. support. Um, <laughs> We, uh, we'll let you know if there needs to be call to action. Well, speaking right. of call to action, do you mention tomorrow? We, uh, tomorrow being this went uh, the fifteenth of this month. Um, the uh, first, uh, what is it? Action committee for the all. Well, it's the first task force. Task the force second committee. phase of the task force. So the Alston, <laughs> the Alston, um, the Alston Turnpike, not widening. Well, maybe the Alston Turnpike replacement. Viaduct replacement. This is a the background. You want to give the background? You want me to? No, sure. Go ahead. All right. The background of this is that the Alston Viaduct. If you ever have driven on the Turnpike, you sort of go up over a viaduct, and there's BU on the right, and there's the river on the left. We're going inbound, um, and then you go down under Com Ave, and it is bumpy, and it is falling apart. And actually, the BU bridge, which has the green line going over it, um, which was built at the same time in the early '60s basically crumbled the other day. Um, yep, it big fell. piece of concrete right. fell down, the green line was shut down, the turnpike lanes were shut down, there was terrible traffic. Um, and the state, everyone knows that this needs to be replaced. But we don't have any money because we- Well, we don't, this is actually something that I think, because it is being funded by the, the because it's the turnpike involved, there's toll money involved. It all goes into a pot, but it's easier to justify when people are paying Five dollars a day to drive from work, one twenty-eight to the city and back. So, it's a quarter to the two hundred sixty million dollar project. Um, but there's a ton of moving pieces because it also includes the whole um, Beacon Park Yards project at uh, on the on the west 
on the west end, which is the now abandoned rail yard, which Harvard owns, but the state has an easement through, and the trains run through it. And they want to build the west station there, which would connect to BU and Harvard and MIT. And there's a Grand Junction path that wants to come across the river. And the People's Pike, which is the Alston path that would go sort of from Alston through the site to the river. And there are people who want more parkland along the river by pulling uh, Star Stuff's Soldier's Field Road off of the river. And the Grand Junction Railroad, which is separate from the path, the state wants to maintain. I think this is a great idea because it's, Kendall Square is growing like weed, and there's only so many people you can get on the red line. Yeah. Um, and, to I think, have, and I think crucially is that the um, I mean, it is primarily a highway project, but you know, straightening that piece of highway and kind of moving it over does open up this huge. It's an economic development land. project in the long run. Right. Um, the problem is that we're dealing with Mass Highway, and God love them, they are highway people, and they want to build a big bridge. Um, so they're sort of salivating over, oh, we get to build a new, a new big bridge. Um, the reason that you have to have a bridge there is when it was built in 1962, is that you need to. The Grand Junction starts on the south side of the highway and goes to the north side. Um, so it, uh, it has to cross over under the highway. The Worcester line tracks start on the south side and end on the south side, and they can stay on the south side, and everything else. Getting pedestrian crossings is a lot easier because you can have like a loop ramp and you can gain, you, pedestrian facilities can gain elevation in a very small footprint in the way that a railroad or highway can. So what has been proposed, what, what, the way it's always been is that the highway goes up, the railroad goes, the Grand Junction goes under. And that's the new proposal is the highway goes, and that's always how it's been. I think really, I'm not really blaming anyone. I'm just saying that because it's always been that way, everyone looks at it and says, well, this is how it is. This is how it's going to be. Um, so the proposal is that the highway goes up and the railroad goes under it. And I was actually talking to someone and they said, what if you could put everything at grade? Um, what if you had, if you, is there enough room to have four railroad tracks and four lanes of highway and, or eight lanes of highway and then four more lanes of highway for or whatever Star Soldier Field Road is, pretty much a highway, and the bike path along the river? And the answer is not really. It's maybe if you pushed in and took some takings from BU, maybe you could get everything there. But, that, but the other piece is that you're still going to have to have, have grade separation. You have to have the Grand Junction over or under, um, over under the Mass Pike. But then I realized when you come, if, if you never drive on the Mass Pike, uh, if you're a transit user, take a, take a 501 out sometime and see what it's like. Um, or just go and look at and stand on Com Ave. The that turnpike sort of dips down under Com Ave. I'm doing things with my hands here that really is not, again, not helpful on the radio. But we had a radio, I didn't tell you. Ah, yeah, I don't see yes. <laughs> the, this is all, if you go to amateurplanner.blogspot.com, this should be up on Wednesday, probably the time the podcast goes to air. Mm -hmm. um, that has some small words and visual aids or with visual aids. Um, so right now, if you're the, the turnpike goes down and then it goes up a steep grade and it goes across this big viaduct and then it goes down to the tolls back to Grand Buffalo. And the Grand Junction comes across the river and then it actually crosses above Soldier Field Road, so it's going up. And then it actually goes down at what for a railroad is a steep grade, a 1.3% grade, so that it can get under the, the, the highway. And it just, I was thinking, so I'm like, okay, so you need to cross that over. What if you cro cross that, cross the highway? What if you crossed it over? And something clicked, and I said, why are we taking the largest sing single thing in the car, the 100 to 120-foot-wide highway, and building a viaduct for it? Viaducts cost a lot more than, you know, building something on the ground is a lot cheaper than concrete and steel for the viaduct. And if you've run along the river there, you know there's a lot of concrete and steel. Um, and there's a lot of engineering that goes into it. There's a lot of long-term maintenance costs. You have to paint it, and you have to have drainage, and there's rust and stuff. Inspect it. Inspect it. And then it's going to be obsolete in 50 or 75 years again. Um, what if you... The, the, and, the, and you're really putting it over the smallest thing, this 30-foot-wide right-of-way. That actually needs more clearance, so you have to have it higher. A highway over a railroad is higher than a railroad over a highway. Right? A highway, potential tunnel... The highway has 14 foot three inches of clearance, and the railroad, excuse me, the railroad is 16 foot nine, so it's two and a half feet. It's a difference, but the highway is also starting out a lot lower. This, the space constraint is really on that eastern end. So the railroad is 16 feet higher than the highway coming in. Why not keep the highway at that low grade? Take the railroad over it. You could have the same grade coming off the bridge. If we get it high enough, 
run it, it's about 1,400 feet down the median, run it like um, if anyone's been to JFK Airport and taken the train, the air train, the air train runs down the middle of the Van Wyck Expressway. Um, now, it doesn't have the same, you'd need probably more, it, it runs sort of on these pedestals in the median, so there's just these six foot round, about six feet wide, round concrete things that go up, and then the, the, the right of way, the railroad sits on top of that. Right. Um, build that, it would be much smaller. Instead of four rows of supports, it would be one row. Instead of 110 to 120 feet of width, it would be 30 feet. And then that would slope down. So that would, it would run, it, run, run in the middle of the median, slope down on the other side. It would, you know, I, I actually think it would be a better project. It would give you a lot more, it would sort of future-proof it uh, because you wouldn't have the highway grade taking up a lot of room in the Alston area, in the, all the railroad yard area. But I think the big thing with the state budget deficit and with not having passed the gas tax is that it would wind up being a lot cheaper. You're building a lot less. And actually staging it is going to be a lot easier because instead of, right now the plans are to, ooh, that's cool, this, there's, he has a... Um, oh, and the him, surface oh, just died. The surface just <laughs> They're showing the, the, the 3D something or that. I've been looking at this yeah. too. Um, right now you're, the way that you'd have to do this is to, um, the, to build it, you would have the viaduct, you'd have to build build two lanes of the new viaduct, and then you'd have to be taking town two lanes at a time and rebuilding them in like place. Big dig all over again. Big, very constrained, whereas if you were building underneath uh, the, you would be building lanes sort of underneath the temporary lanes, but as you took things down, you'd get a lot more space. So, I mean, it, I, I see, like, I have a hard time with cost arguments in general. Because you know, like maybe you know, costs can be spent in other places, but you know, like savings can be spent in other places. But um, I always struggle with that. But I'm wondering if if you sort of if you get to this point where you can keep because right now you know you have this massive highway and you know you do have the railroad, and, but, but primarily this massive highway there that that divides it just completely splits up what are two neighborhoods. Yep. And you know, it would be nice to sort of reconnect. Right, Alston is broken apart. And it'd be nice to sort of reconnect in the same way, like Prudential Center development, everything kind of reconnected, all that stuff, and that part above. For the transit nerds, an RTS bus just drove by. They drove by the window. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, there we go. go. That's why the MBTA's uh, maintenance <laughs> bus is so high, by the way. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, twenty-year-old buses. Um, but I'm wondering, could you just get to the point where you like build a deck over the highway? You know, if you get it down, you build a deck over, it, and then you're like, now you have a neighborhood instead of this barrier. So I think this is a great argument. Um, and what this project would do is instead of being, you'd still have some of some right of way descending because you have to cross something over another. But instead of 120 foot feet wide, it'd be 30 feet wide. So it'd be like a portal, uh, uh, like a portal for the, the Green Line instead of like uh, an entire highway. I think that's a fine argument. I think it carries a lot of water, but. Right now, uh, the way I think to advance something like this, so if, if we can plan out this better project and it winds up being cheaper, um, making that argument to neighborhood advocates I think is great. Uh, to people who want that area to be stitched together with a deck, with keep things lower, it's great. This generally keeps the things a lot lower. In theory, you could build a deck over the turnpike and over Star Drive and have a uh, elevated promenade overlooking the river. It's fantastic. That's not within the scope of this project, as far as the state defines it, and it's not within the budget. But if the budget is lower, I think there's two things. One is it would give the sort of bike, pedestrian, transit advocates, if we're advocating for a cheaper project that has the same, you know, and, it, and if we're sort of the ones pushing that, that looks really good, both for Mass Highway, in theory, they should want to do things cheaper, as well as sort of in a larger political picture of, oh, look, here's the guys who, uh, there goes the Easy Ride shuttle. That's an Eldorado. <laughs> Um. Well, rather than rather than just simply being opposing the project or or just no, asking for more yeah. of them, then you know, po pointing out solutions that actually allow us to get more for the money. Yeah. Can we, um, just hire, I, we should just hire you. It's like, it's like, what are people doing when they come up with this? I don't know. Well, so I, I will cut them a lot of slack. Yeah, um, no, I, going going back to to what Mark just said is um, is that. Yeah, we. The, no one's opposed to this project because the viaduct is going to fall down in ten years. We don't do something about it. Right. Um, but if there are people who are opposed to how things are being done, and if we can go in and say we're going to, we want to do it like we we have this idea and we think it would save and it will save twenty five, fifty million dollars. 
I don't think you say, and we want all that, and we want all that money for better transit service. I think we say we need to have a discussion if we can save this money about where that goes. We think it should be a lot of it should be reinvested in this area. Mm -hmm. um, but really go in and say it's it would be a huge political win if the transit people could save the highway people a lot of money. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I actually yeah. I okay. think that that would be a huge thing. Yeah. The other. Um, so is anybody is anybody making this argument? So that's a really question. As far as I know, no. Because and I and I, what I think happened is again, as I was saying earlier, everyone said elevated highway. This is what we have now. It works, I guess. Mm -hmm. People get where they need to go. Let's build it again. And no one. I've been I wrote I've been writing about this for close to two years. I was doing these sketch mock-up things two years ago. It never crossed my mind until, until someone said, what if you put it all at grade? And so the, they, someone mentioned it, and the state did a mock-up. And this is actually in, will, will, will be, and it's actually published somewhere on my blog. It's a year ago. It'll be up on the front page soon. Um, and just doing some proofreading. And welcome to the world of blogging and trying to get people to read <laughs> your Anyway, this. It's, um, this is why I haven't updated my blog in quite a while. <laughs> It's uh, so I think really no one thought no one thought about it in this way because you really have to take a couple of steps back and say okay not what do we have now and how do we replace it but what's going on here what are the moving pieces and how do we integrate them and um, what the they, the state did have something showing oh someone asked and they did a mock up and they said well it wouldn't work because the Worcester line would be elevated and then it has to go under a bridge and the elevations don't work but they for whatever reason. They, and, and I don't think it's nefarious. I think they, they just looked at it and said, okay, well, something, either the rail has to be up or the highway has all to be up. All of the rail or all of the All of the rail or all, exactly. And they yeah. said all of the rail doesn't work, and it doesn't. They also said the Grand Junction would have elevation problems. They didn't look at the elevation. Right. But when you look at it, the Worcester line can stay at grade on the south side of the highway, and no one has to it well, So I was just actually does. looking at the 3D model, and what I did see was that there is over a little bit of overlap. Um, if you actually go to Bing Maps, <laughs> which is what I was looking at. We're getting um, kind of in the weeds. Yeah, in the weeds, yeah. definitely. Um, but it, it seems like they might actually be working very specifically in the in the bounds, and I think they might need to do some DCR takings or something. Oh, so, so. what there is is between the... Soldiers Field Road and where the highway currently is, yeah. that is the DCR Parkland. It's a wasteland, but it's DCR Parkland. Right. Yeah, there would be a little bit of, there's good, but they want to build, the, they want to build, the other issue that Mass Highway has that really needs to be addressed, excuse me, is that, um, is that they say that they have to build a interstate standard, right now it's four lanes, of, it's 108 feet wide, it's four lanes of traffic, no shoulders. They are saying that the only way to do this is to build an interstate standard highway with full shoulders. One because of the highway widening project. Because the highway widening project. Now, none of the rest of the turnpike, they have a few emergency pullouts where there's no full shoulders. And this section is the most constrained part, probably on the entire highway. It doesn't need that. One of the issues, I think, is because you have this ramp up and then this ramp down, there are poor sight lines. It's relatively dangerous as far as highway goes. I would assume there's higher crash rates there but the speeds are lower, so maybe there aren't. But there's relatively poor sight lines, there's hills. If you kept it at grade, you would have better sight lines, it'd be flatter. So yeah, you, couldn't, you, can't, you can't do this if you have to have full 12 foot wide shoulders. But we really don't need that, and that really has to be something that comes off the table, because that is basically saying, this is a highway project first, and we're going to, you know, if, if this was a transit project first, we would have four tracks of railroad in there, so you could have overtaking at stations, and oh, the highway's only two lanes wide, well, that's fine. There needs to be some compromise on that. But I think, but if you compromise on that, which I think is something that will wind up happening, then you can put the highway at grade, then you can do all these other things. I'm glad you sort of bring up that dichotomy right there between the highway and transit, because the question I was gonna ask is, um, you know, this is 200, you know, like we have no money for anything, right? Supposedly. Um, but, you know, this is $250 million, whatever, it has to be done, so we got to do it, right? And there's a lot of transit projects yep. that have to be done, but somehow we don't have money for it. So, but I'm wondering if we can get to the point where you could, you know, you could build a deck over it or you could do something, you know, you get this neighborhood, like, why can we, like, not get, like, development in there to, yep. like, sort of, like, you sort of build up or around it so like somebody else is kind of putting the bill for that is it. The plan. That's, 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 that's part of the plan. That's part of the. That's not really part of the plan because 
10 or 15 years ago, the state sold the land to Harvard University. Oh, yeah. Uh, Harvard so, owns it. So any development potential. You know, I don't know about that okay. viaduct. Well, they're right Harvard, there. The rest of it's Harvard. What's their stuff then? I don't want to get money for Harvard. You know what? Yeah. People want to try to get money from Harvard. Their politics of that are just, uh, that. that's like three more yeah. podcasts that we don't have to do. Uh, and we're probably short on time already. Yeah. So anyway, we've talked about it way too much. There's pictures that small words and visual aids that will make this make a lot more sense if you have the website, which you should or not. So the last thing I want to talk about real quick um, is um, winterization on the T. We kind of wondered what's going on. Um, Do we know, do any of us really know, uh, I know the governor, Uh, Mark, maybe you know more than I do. Well, there was a there was an eighty four. He authorized eighty four million dollars for this project uh, for the T to go through and actually complete some of its winterization projects that it's had on the backlog. Um, so one of the things that it's doing right, that they're doing right now for the month of uh, for actually a lot of the summer is going to be um, weekday shutdowns in the evenings and shuttle busing of the Orange Line on su- certain segments for uh, for installation of track heaters and switch heaters, or rather third rail heaters and switch, uh, switch heaters. Uh, I know that they've been doing some uh, construction on my segment down down past Jackson Square and they've been shutting the, down that for weekends. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of this smaller stuff of um, installing third rail heaters and uh, kind of the, the real newsworthy failures that happened where, you know, Red Line train got stuck, and I think didn't the rescue train that went to go help the Red Line there train was also get stuck. Sixteen feet of snow. Yeah. There's yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of this is like the the question is like, do you make the call to suspend the service, and you sort of they sort of go back and forth, and, and that's sort of what happens. Yeah. But um, well, so the eighty four million dollars is is for a lot of those projects, and that that was that was really what was rattled off. I haven't had a chance to really follow up with. With what that news I, is. I don't know exactly what the ins and outs of it. I think a lot of it is for third rail heaters yeah. and covers and things like that. I think that's fantastic. That's really what I mean. I think there are, are a few things we should be doing. Yeah, passenger system right. should be you know getting we're getting the new rail cars and then five years we're not going to have any forty five year old or thirty year old cars on the fleet anymore. Although the it's a new newer, the newer red line cars will be twenty five years old at that point, but. Um, that's, this is this is this is what we should be doing, and I think that uh, it would be it would be interesting to talk. To them. Often, when there's a construction project, the T's actually goes and they tweet out pictures whenever they have weekend shutdown. Yes, we should. It would be interesting to go and just sort of ride those shuttle buses, which you could go back and forth for free, and see how people feel about it. Because I would bet that when if they put, and I don't know if they're doing the messaging, but if the messaging said something like. Um, it's just been track work. Some of it's been explicitly winterization. If it's explicitly winterization, I would bet that the people on the buses on a you know at nine on a weekday evening was like would be saying, it's fifteen minutes tonight, fifteen minutes tomorrow night, and if I'm not stranded for three hours downtown in the middle middle, middle of winter, I'm all for it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, this is this is what we need to be doing, and we need to invest. We I you know invest more money, and it shouldn't be it, it shouldn't be a. a uh, Rob, we shouldn't rob Peter to pay Paul, but we should really look at this as being part of the the local economy of how how do we make sure that this works. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, the latest uh, the latest uh, T alert from ten hours ago uh, was phrased as due to crews performing work as part of the Winter Resiliency Improvement Program, all caps. So it sounds like it's an, an official uh, line item there. So yeah, we can reach out to T folks to get a little bit more details on that. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, glad that it's finally going through. Yeah, we got to wrap up. I'm just wondering, because we're talking about winter, are we getting a new GM anytime soon? <laughs> uh, DePaula seems to be doing a pretty good job, as at least as far as like showing up. And he recently did a tour <laughs> of uh, he did a tour of the um, of the Everett shops the other day, and he was tweeted. You know, he was in the metalworking shop, and they tweeted a photo of that. He he he's he's got he walks the walk, and he's he's got the internal know-how of Mastodon. I haven't seen any a lot of policy stuff come out of him, but we'll see. I think, frankly, that might be what we need. And yeah. Short term is just someone who knows how to get yeah. the thing that no, we don't need the, right now for the next year. I think in the long term we need some new sexy things, but right now we need someone who does nuts and bolts, and he's yeah. and done he, that for a long time. Yep, yeah. and he does that. He works really well with um, uh, with Secretary Pollock, and, and I, she's the one who's driving the policy. She comes from the policy background, yeah. um, so I think that's. Uh, I think we do have a really, really good combination right now, um, at least. 
we don't have I think the the big misstep was him saying that they didn't know that there were certain things that they could have been doing for winter uh, winter stuff but I, I don't think that's fully fully true uh, but I know it's my tea, a slip of the tongue you know I guess it's also the tea apologizing for itself when it shouldn't apologize for itself yeah 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 legitimately I mean one of the one of the things and again if you go to my blog you can read about this the winter this year was so unprecedented mm-hmm. um, we had this was and I was got kind of an argument with someone uh, more snow in a month than Buffalo New York has ever gotten in a month more snow in a month, more snow in a short time period that basically they looked at, that someone went and looked at large cities in, since 1900 or so, and the only enlarged or urbanized industrial modernized areas, the only parallel they could find. There are a lot of cities that are colder. Minneapolis is colder. Um, Edmonton is colder, but they don't get as much snow because it's the middle of the continent. Right. And there are a lot of cities that, you know, there are places that will get snow, but not the only, the or, or that are near, what, what uh, oceans and they, the only place they could find is Sweden in 1965 had about this much snow about the same time period oh, and the right. national rail system shut down for 12 days so this is not you know everyone says oh this he should have known this was coming no one knew this was coming we've we've gotten 2013 we had a similarly large snowstorm and then it was 45 degrees three days later and it melted down to like eight inches and the tea shut down for a day it was fine we had one of those storms then we had another one and then we had two more in the span of three right. weeks so I think people were also at like they were they had a like the tea always has a microscope on it and we want to bitch about it all the time. Yeah. I think it really gave people an excuse to bitch about. It. But on on the upside, we got a really we got an interesting conversation and we we are retaining people's interest. In I think we I think some people are taking advantage of that conversation. But if we're getting money to install things that will make it work better in the winter, I mean, and if yeah. you look at the tea versus DC, DC basically shuts down. Most of their service, yep. except for underground service, when there's eight inches of snow. Well, it, that's because it's it, it, it on everything, though. I mean, the whole city pretty much shuts down. They get a couple of yeah. snow yeah. because that's yeah. just like they get that like ten times a year, and they're like, it just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. New York shut down this year when we our big storm. They got like eight inches of snow. Well, yeah. Yeah. poor forecasting, but you never know. Yeah. Anyway. So. Well, so yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, we should do that because uh, we've, as usual, gone uh, too long. But always. Uh, this is a great content. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you, Ari, for joining You're us. You're welcome. You find out more information and uh, check out the post tomorrow and uh, all other times at amateurplanner.blogspot.com. You can tweet at us at Transit Matters. You can follow us at transitmatters.info. Um, you can follow me at Critical Transit. And what else? You can follow me, Mark Ibunia, at uh, Digital Sci Guy, though I run the main tw- uh, Transit Matters Twitter account. Oh, and I have a Twitter account. It is uh, actually the, one of the reasons the Amateur Planner is easier to spell. At Offsevit, which is my last name, O, F is in Foxtrot, S is in Sierra, E, V is in Victor, I, T. Okay, we'll put a link to that. And, uh, oh, yeah, also email us feedback at transitmatters.info. Thank you for joining us. Right, thank you guys for having me. Always fun. Thank you, good night, and good transit. (laughs) Because transit matters for some reason. Yep, because transit matters. Thank you for listening.